Welcome to this edition of the Stromcast with your host Armstrong Wheel. Uh, I know you listen to our weekly podcast and we appreciate the feedback. But today's podcast is very special, you know, because today we're going to talk about innovation, technology, the role that the government plays uh, in a very active or deactive way, and all the way from Tel Aviv uh, and the Holy Land, joining us is the founder and the brains behind robotics, which he's going to tell you about all throughout our podcast today, is Yaron Schwartz. Yaron? United Security Financial. We are focused on finding a better way for you to get a home loan. Right now, we have a great offer for you. United Security Financial can refinance it to a 30-year fixed rate. That's money in your pocket. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Refinance with United Security Financial and see why our customers say, if United Security Financial can't do it, it can't be done. Jerron, welcome to the podcast. And thank you for coming from across the miles away to share the latest in your technology ambition. Let me, let me just, what is it about technology in Israel where Israel is known as the giant, the leader, when it comes to technology in the world? What is it? Is it in the food? Is it in the water? Is it in the education? What, what, what happens in Israel that doesn't happen anywhere else? When we're born, they sprinkle some AI on us, you know? <laughs> Artificial intelligence, okay. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I think it's less about the technology in Israel and more about the culture that enables failure. Um, and what I mean by that is not that we uh, celebrate failure, but we definitely don't cast people aside whom fail. And so you're encouraged to try, and if you fail, it's okay. Just make sure you get up real quick and keep on. And I think that type of attitude enables innovation because you never get it right the first time. So when did you first realize uh, at a young age that technology, innovation, was one of your callings? Um, for me, it was, a, it was kind of a tug. I came closer, and then I stepped away completely, and then I came back in full force. So when I was in high school, I was already in robotics, and we were designing robots to autonomously put out fires in people's apartments. Um, as a high school project that we ended up competing against American colleges. Um, but then after the military service, I decided to kind of disconnect a bit. I traveled around the world. Um, and only when I came back, uh, maybe a few years later, I entered back into the technological sphere. Talk, talk about the world for robotics. Uh, often people are very fearful and intimidated by robotics. You know, I was listening to, uh, I was reading a story where Google was putting out a, a robotic human being uh, to answer phone calls. And literally, if you were, if they were to call and make a request, you could not tell that robot from a human being. And they backed away because people thought it was a too little, just too intrusive, too invasive. And, it, and they backed away from it. But it just goes to show you where technology is going in the future, where it is today. And 15 years ago, this, much of this was unimaginable. What has changed? I would, I would 
even say that three years ago, six years ago, not three, six years ago, autonomous cars were unimaginable. Literally, the, the scientific and development community were saying full autonomous cars is not possible because the way we are programming is a if-based scenario. If this, then that. If this happens, then react. And with a car in a street with people and other cars, some are autonomous and some are human-driven, there's literally an infinite number of ifs. An infinite number of things could happen. Therefore, the computational power needed to compute all of these ifs was equivalent to uh, endless, right, to infinity. And so the scientific community said, we're not going to reach it. But then something interesting happened, a flip in artificial intelligence. Basically, if we take a step back and look at the rise of, of semiconductors and the rise of computing, we went from an era where computing, literally mathematics, arithmetics, was done by humans, was therefore labor intensive. And once we brought in a computer, and the better these computers got, we basically could take mathematics, reduce the cost down to practically zero, and start running statistics, right? Running mathematics. So we took every problem and we tried to fit it into a mathematical equation to get an answer, an output. When you do that to a, an autonomous car, you're stuck in the infinite number of if problems. But when we moved into AI, which is a probability-based technology, right, it's not if this, then that, but rather what is the probability of something happening? Um, what is the statistical likelihood of something happening? And if that is very low, then I move on to the next, to the next option. Um, and this is a very simplistic way of looking at it, but that shift in technology enabled what we have today, which are scores of companies developing everywhere from sensors all the way to full autonomy for the world of vehicles, whether it's cars or trucks or ships or planes, everything. So we're literally in the age of artificial in intelligence. I think we're in the age in which we are, to this planet, will join an artificial intelligence. Because we can't think of it as humans, because human intelligence is siloed, right? You have your brain, I have my brain, we might share conversations and share ideas and share intelligence, but at the end of the day, the sum of what you know is in your brain, hardwired. With a artificial intelligence, once it's plugged into the electricity, it shares its intelligence with all the AIs in its network. And that makes for a new dynamic. But AI and robotics are tools for manipulation also. I would look in general at technology and just call it a tool. Right? That's, that's all it is. All why, why do you back away from the manipulation? Because it's how we decide to use it. We're the manipulator. With AI, we're entering a new paradigm, but up until the point of AI, up until the point of artificial intelligence and machine learning and all this new work around uh, neural networks uh, and deep learning, all our technologies were, were simple. They didn't have the ability to react, interact. Now we're changing phases. Now we're entering into a new era and we're nowhere near it yet. It'll happen really fast, really much faster than anyone can imagine. 
even if the top scientists today say, no, it'll be 10, 20, 50 years from a general purpose AI, between now and then, there are going to be so many um, single purpose AIs, dedicated task-driven AIs, that for us, it will be as if the, these AIs have already entered the market. Because sector after sector, these, these computer programs, these artificial intelligences, are creating outputs that are helping people do their job much more efficiently. And this is not a new concept. We've had artificial intelligence as a concept for the last 50 years. It's been in the last 15 years that we've made significant developments, in the last six years that we've been jumping exponentially. And in the next 10 or 20 years, we're going to see it proliferate into every single sector and section of our lives, very similar to the way that internet and data have been doing so over the last so, 30 so years. What are the challenges of emerging technology? I would say the single greatest challenge is fear. We humans tend to fear what we don't know, what we're not educated enough about, what we can't grasp. Right? If we go back thousands of years, we were afraid of you know, uh, a little figurine that was classified as a god. And we said, oh, we mustn't break this figurine. Right? And we just were ill-informed. I think today, in regards to emerging technologies, we're much in the same place, where a lot of the fear comes from lack of knowledge. And the lack of knowledge comes because the people developing these emerging technologies are, for the most part, not the best communicators. Um, they might be able to explain it in their engineering, mathematical, computer science uh, lingo, but for the most of us, including myself, I, we don't understand that lingo. Right? And so we don't have the information about what is happening. And that creates basically a, I would say, a, a, a three-leg kind of structure where the three legs aren't able to communicate with one another. So you have the general society, right? Us, everybody out here. Uh, you have the government, which is comprised of individuals like us, except they have very specific um, positions and responsibilities. And then you have private industry. And in the private, private industry, because it's driven by, by finance, driven by money immediately, there has to be an understanding. And so you see big corporates, definitely the ones that are more leaning into technology, right? the Facebooks of the world, the Microsofts of the world, they, to be very colloquial, they know what's up. They're developing these task-specific AIs or neural networks to benefit not only their business today, but to create new avenues of business for them tomorrow the general public doesn't have those same resources, right? If we equate AI today to computers in 1995, really 95 was the year that the kind of the last regulations, heavy regulations on private industry using these networks that used to be only military started, like 95 was the year they 
they came down, these walls came down, and then you saw suddenly a massive spike proliferation of the internet technology. And since 95 till today, I mean, I don't have to say anything. We just look at what's been happening. AI is much in the same place. And what I hope that happens sooner rather than later is that the government and the general public are able to use and manipulate these tools, these prediction tools, let's call them, which are AIs, to benefit their lives, to benefit the way the government is, is working. But also from a regulation standpoint, I think since technology is moving at a speed unparalleled today, unparalleled in, in our history, it behooves the government to move much faster than it traditionally, traditionally does to get a full grasp on what these technologies mean, not only from a strategic advantage perspective of the country, but internally how it can benefit, and it can, the general public. And not only the corporations that have the finance, the resources to develop these technologies. You know, one of the things that we want to do, uh, uh, and I want to do it in a way where you can really get into the details, talk about your own contributions, your own discovery uh, in the world of technology, robotics, uh, and how that was developed. Uh, how it's going to be a game changer in that market, uh, and what is the future? That's a big question. Um, so the, the company I'm representing, um, basically my company that I founded with my co-founder, Avi Abadi, um, who's really the, the genius behind the technology. I'm, I'm more of the communicator. Um, but together, we are able to, to look at technology and look at the market. And I mean, we're creating the operating system for what we look at as the future of real estate maintenance. Um, and that's just one niche we're focused on right now because there is waste of life, danger of humans, hazardous materials being used, and generally an environment where we believe humans shouldn't apply. We don't think that humans should be in these dangerous environments. We think that humans are actually worth more than robots that are literally chunks of metal and circuits and machinery. Because if, uh, let's say we talk about window cleaning, if a human being falls down, that's a loss of life. But if a robot falls down, that's simply another machine we have to buy and put back up there, which is a waste of a few dollars. And so at Skyline Robotics, we look at this. We look at where we can bring systems, whether it's robotics and artificial intelligence and machine learning, to market so that we can take people out of dangerous positions. But I'll tell you what, we can't do without them. We need a very unique capacity that humans have, which is the brain, to go a full circle. We're using, basically, the innate human, human ability to supervise these machines. As smart as they are, they come nowhere near to the capacity of the human brain. And in my opinion, it'll be at least two decades before any software program can, as a general purpose, imitate the human brain.
on a specific task. Today, we have task-specific software that are much faster, better, more efficient, more everything than the human brain. But the accumulation of everything together, right, supervising a complex, dynamic situation, having to act creatively, um, that is something that today only humans can do. So I want you to get into more details about robotics and what they are, and also the other line of products that you're thinking about launching. I know you're very modest, but I really want people to understand your product and how it will work. So first about robotics. We, robots are machines. And it doesn't matter if it's a coffee machine or an articulated robotic arm that is putting a car together or cleaning a window. Or putting candles in holes. <laughs> or that. The machine doesn't have intelligence, right? Just like our physical body with our brains detached out of it and our senses closed is just a shell. It really can't move, interact, do anything. So we take these machines and then we add sensors to them. These are devices that enable external outputs to be recorded by this machine. And then we use software. In our case, we use uh, machine learning to make sense of all these inputs and then create a, an action that the machine can then, that then the machine acts. And so you have a, a input-output loop. Without one of these, if the machine is just acting without input, then it's a machine, it's not a robot. It's not able to change its behavior, its actions, relative to a changing and dynamic environment. And so if you think of autonomous cars, which I think is a very easy example to understand, at any given moment, anything can run or step or jump or stop in front of it or to the side of it. And so this, this machine, this car with sensors and software making sense of everything, then it can react to things that are happening in its environment. How do you, um, and how does it play out with the window cleaning? I mean, a lot of people are concerned that robotics um, technology is replacing the human uh, interaction, the, the worker, uh, it impacts the job market. It, is, that, is that the case long term, sort of like what happens with the automatic tellers, automatic checkout line in grocery stores? You can just check out and you don't need, you need less human beings that are employed. So the ATM is an interesting example. When the ATM came out, uh, the biggest commentary on it was that it's going to um, take away all the jobs of the tellers. Actually, it created more jobs for tellers. And the ATMs enabled a greater usage of banking. It actually brought the banking down to the common person. It reduced the costs for people to bank, to put their money in a bank and then get it out because now there was a machine doing the transactions rather than a human. So will artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics impact the job market? Definitely. Will it displace people out of work? Yes. Does that mean that there won't be more jobs for people? Not necessarily. Because if you look at just San Francisco, the last number I read that there was there 30,000 unfilled jobs in data science. That's wow. 
that's massive, right? So these emerging technologies are creating many-fold more jobs in different sectors than they are displacing at the moment. And but, but how do we, those jobs that you speak of, which is another concern, how do we make sure there's more diversity capable and ready to step up and, and play a role in those emerging technologies where they're creating these jobs and opportunities? Because that's been one of the complaints, that it just doesn't celebrate diversity. And I don't think the issue is the diversity. I think the issue is how do we prepare our young people in the STEM, the science, the technology, the engineering, the math early on, and how they continue that education so when these jobs are available, they can um, walk right in and, and make an impact. So I would say that there are two facets to this. I look at one facet is education, um, and I look to the government. And the second facet is corporate social responsibility, and I look to the private industry. And from an education... But they would say they, they don't have the skills. Whom? The, the, the corporates? Yes. So let's look at the Microsofts and the IBMs and the Intels and the Facebooks of the world. And I know they have corporate social responsibility, CSR programs in place, and I'm sure they're doing great job, great value to the communities that they work in. However, I would posit and say that any company, for-profit, not-for-profit, doesn't matter, any company working and developing AI, machine learning, uh, um, robotics, any company that's in the business of putting other people out of business should be enforced to give back to the community in a very specific way amongst everything else they do. And that's in an education standpoint. And so for example, what, what we're planning to do is partner with some of the big MOOC providers, uh, massive online open courses, online education, to create specific education programs for the people we will be displacing. So, Window cleaners, for example, some of them will lose their job because of our technology. But we want to embrace that. We want to enable these people to further their studies, maybe become a general engineer for these systems. And they will be the people servicing these window cleaning robots or supervising them from the roof. Um, if you think of window cleaning, traditionally it's a father-son job but I know very few millennials today that even know how to clean a window. Forget want to clean a window. However, if now window cleaning involves robotics and automation and all these emerging technologies, it stands to reason that it would be more appealing for this new generation, not so new anymore, for the up and coming generation entering the workforce to actually be intrigued by window cleaning because now they're interacting with a robot. It, it is for me because while, while I may not literally pick the job, you might, I, I employ scores of people and I'm in the technology business. I'm in the television ownership business and these young people are very important to my success. So I'm always looking for them to fill the, the void um, across the country. So it definitely impacts me, but just in a different way. Definitely, which leads to the second facet, which is education where I look to the government. And I think today we're not doing a good job, not only here in America, but in most countries I've looked at, um, in, in the, whether it's in Western Europe or Israel or the United States, 
we're falling short in education. I don't care who I offend. I'm saying this flat out as a dead point. We need to do much better. We're not preparing the up and coming generations for the future. At best, we're preparing them for the past. And to, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln and, and Sir Ken Robinson, we should rise with the occasion rather than to the occasion. We should be proactive rather than reactive. And if you think today, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old in front of their educator in kindergarten or school, if they have an iPad in their hands, their access to technology is equal to their teacher. Their ability to access that information is probably greater than their teacher because they're more adapt to working that iPad. And so we have to change the way we look and then facilitate learning and education because I think this is the only way we can prepare the general public, the masses, all of us, for the future that is literally around the corner. But what is it that in the households that parents need and should do early on? I'm not a parent yet, so... You don't need to be a parent. <laughs> um, are there tools? There, there are lots of tools. There are lots of tools. And I'm not only talking about homeschooling, but everything you'd want to learn today, whether you're 5, 10, 50, or 100 years old, there is probably an app or a website or both that would help facilitate in your specific style of learning that specific subject. I didn't excel at school. I can tell you, every single person I ever sat with to, to prepare for an exam, even when I was teaching them for that exam, they always got a higher grade than me. I just wasn't good at exams. But I love knowledge. I love learning. I consume information. I feel every moment I wake. And I mean, I have my mother to thank for that, for facilitating these things, and uh, amazing teachers that along the way helped me figure out the right avenues. But that was an, these were individuals that superseded the rest and were able to help me. This wasn't the system that facilitated those superhumans, those super teachers. But it is still a way. Yes. That's key. What are we not talking about enough in this technology space? What is deserving of more attention? It's a good question. I would want to, and, and I said this before, specifically look at the, the fear and lack of understanding in the general public. And I think it is the government's role to, to create this mass education. And I don't think it's an even an education program, but rather if the government started using these emerging technologies, and not only in, on the defense side, but generally, right? if, if now all banking in the United States had to travel through blockchain. Let the central bank create their own, their own blockchain. But suddenly, 
money movement in the United States will be transparent. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry can look at exactly what the spending is every last cent in an easy way. No one can hide it. No one can scam it. And if the government would implement these types of technologies, these types of emerging technologies, and blockchain is just one example, then for the public it would be much more accessible because suddenly it's, oh, it's, it's used in the mainstream, it's used in the government, maybe I should read about this, maybe I should understand more about it, maybe I should see how it affects my life. How far are we away before robotics hit the marketplace? They're here. We have robots. They're, they're literally everywhere, and most of the robots don't have a physical in cap, like a capsule. Most of the robots are, are traveling on the World Wide Web. They're software. Um, you're in media. I'm sure you know about chatbots and reposting bots, right? There's lots of platforms that say, I don't want to go and repost everything on all my social media outlets. I just want to write it in one place and have a bot do it for me. You know what? I'd actually rather write 20 posts while I'm thinking about it and have a bot just disperse them out once a day, twice a day, once a week. Right? That's, a, that's a machine. That's a robot doing work for me. And that's what robot means, right? If we look at the origin of the word robot, it comes from, from Czech and, and Russian. It means robota, which is work. A robot is literally a device for work. How does one find out more about robotics? Come ask me. Is there a web page? <laughs> it's easier said than done. <laughs> um, there's lots of information. Um, it all depends on what you would like to learn. Is there a website? There, there are lots of websites. What's the website address for robotics? I mean, for, for our company, Your company. skylinerobotics.net. And when I asked the question, I was asking when Skyline Robotics is going to be in the marketplace. Got it. Um, very soon. I can't give you an exact date, but within this year, you'll see it in North America. And that web page address again? It's skylinerobotics.net. Anything you wanted to say before we sign off on the strong cast? Um, Feel free. <laughs> I, I want to th thank two people, um, just two people. One is my mother, um, who is an educator herself and has given me a lot in my life, um, more than I would ever even be able to articulate. And my co-founder, Avi, whom, without whom I would not be here. Robotics, Skyline, what's that address again? Skylinerobotics.net, N-E-T. Listen, be sure to check out our all-new podcast, The Strongcast, available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube, of course. Find out more on armstrongwilliams.com forward slash strongcast. That's strongcast, C-A-S-T. Just want to take a minute to let you know we're expanding. We're going to always expand. That's my personality. That's my history. That's my story. Keep up with our raw and thought-provoking dialogue on our brand-new podcast, the Strongcast. Again, find out more information on armstrongwilliams.com forward slash strongcast at strongcast C-A-S-T. Listen, your Ron brother, I could not be proud of what Thank you're you. doing. 
And I know your robotics, the window wipers, is only the beginning for you. Only the beginning. Only the beginning. Thank you for joining this edition of the Strongcast.